Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that that is our prayer, Lord Jesus, how we need you. Lord, we confess at this time, at this age, we confess that our dependence is completely and is utterly on you, Lord Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, we thank you that we're on our final day of 21 days of prayer, 21 days of devotion, 21 days of fasting, 21 days of lifting our three significant prayer requests up to you. Lord, we just honor you. We just praise you. We worship you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the God that answers prayer. We thank you that you are with us, that you guide us, that even though there may be anxiety and fear all around us, that the Lord makes a way for us. And Father, we give you thanks and we give you all of these prayers over the last 21 days for those that are gathered here, for those that are online, for those of us that are contending for breakthrough, for salvations, for healings, for opportunities, for change of circumstances, whatever we are contending for, we believe that our God is able. We believe, Lord, that you are with your people. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will come and meet all of our needs. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And today we pause and we pray, Lord God, for our world. Lord God, we pray for the Ukraine at this moment. And we pray, Lord God, that your peace will come in Jesus' name. Father, we pray, Lord God, for the border with Russia and the Ukraine as we're feeling the tremors of war and the tremors of darkness rolling across the continent once again. And we declare, Lord God, that Jesus is sovereign. And Lord, that you are Lord of the nations, that you are Lord of the nations, you are Lord of the nations. And even though men may feel they are in control, we thank you that you are Lord. And we pray, Lord, for your 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 peace envoys. We pray, Lord God, for peace in the Ukraine. And Lord, we pray for your church. We thank you for the strong, evangelical, spirit-filled church of the Ukraine. And we pray that they will rise up and they will know the power and the peace of the gospel flowing through them. Bless the church in the Ukraine, we pray in Jesus' name. We pray, God, that in the midst of this uncertainty, that revival will come. That, Lord, you will be with each person. Lord, we don't know what to pray sometimes, but we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Give skill, and we do pray, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus, we pray for Canada. Father, we pray at the moment that, Lord God, as the nation feels so divided as everything. We thank you that the only answer for Canada is revival and the only true answer is the power of the gospel to change lives. And wherever people are, whether they're sat in trucks or whether they have a different opinions, whoever they may be, we pray today in Ottawa that the Christians those that are there, Lord, I my prayer this morning is that many truckers will give their lives to Jesus. Lord, that many truckers will discover Jesus. That God, that our nation that feels divided will be united by revival, will be united by the power of the Spirit. We know that the politics of the world has no answer, but the power of the gospel changes nations. And we pray, Lord, for the power of the gospel. Wherever the gospel preachers are, wherever they are sitting at this moment, wherever they are in crowds, we pray that they will bring good news. We pray that they will be emboldened. And we pray for our nation that, Lord, that you will move. 
that you, Lord, will come in revival because we look and we say, Lord, only you can do it. And we welcome you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are the hope of the world, that you are the answer to our lives. Your gospel is what it's about. Hallelujah. And we pray that people will be snatched from the very jaws of hell in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for leading us. We know that we've had a bit of sickness in the camp and uh, you stepped in. But the average age of this worship team is mid-twenties. I think that's awesome. Hey, look at this. Look at this. Well done, Katrina. Are you going to do youth now? Okay, great. So, Katrina, Jonah, if you've got a teenagers, uh, you can pop up now with youth and go for it. And, uh, oh, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord and to be able to share and everything. Um, we've been on a series, if you're joining us live and uh, online and you're with us at this time, uh, called Rhythms. This is the last Sunday of this series for January because we've been devoting January to prayer. And tonight we'll be gathering and tonight we'll be worshiping and tonight we'll be having our Willow One Prayer Summit both in person and online. Can I encourage you to come and join us? Maybe you haven't been out to church for quite a while, but come to the prayer meeting. Come and gather tonight at 5.30 and as we gather we will pray. We've been standing with our three prayer requests, which have probably multiplied to nine prayer requests, um, to 30 prayer requests. And, and you've been uh, contending and asking the Lord to work in different situations. And I think that is fantastic. I think it's been wonderful. The online engagement in the mornings has been amazing. And the online engagement of, of our team has been amazing. Our pastors and our campus pastors and our staff wanting to lead. It's been great. I was booted out. And, and they just um, went in and I loved it every morning to see them leading and seeing the way um, that, they, that we're engaging and building a church of prayer, a church of mission, church of evangelism. I'm praying that every week one person will give their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. And um, last, last week we got our number one. So uh, a guy came in from Living Nativity, made an appointment with uh, Pastor Glenn at the end of the time. Pastor Glenn led him to the Lord. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, that is great. So um, I'm just asking that salvations will increase through our nation. I'm asking that people will turn their heart to Jesus. Because um, wherever you are in this journey of political turmoil, the one thing I hear in people's voice is frustration, is pain, is anger. We hear it on all sides. But the one thing I know, having once been lost and now been found, that, my, uh, that once I discovered Jesus, I knew that God was in control. I knew that he's Lord. I knew that back then, of course, we were worried about nuclear war. Do you remember that? The 80s. It was all going to happen when two tribes go to war. You remember that? Actually, nothing's changed. Uh, but we were very worried about Russia and, and, and the West. And today we're worried about Russia and the West. Uh, but today I'm still the same, that the trumpet could sound and Christ could return. And my job is to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because while the Titanic's sinking, there's always got to be a preacher on the decks. And, uh, and there was a guy called John Harper on the deck of the Titanic. Do you know this story? He led loads of people to Christ. He was terrified of water, by the way. I don't know if you knew this. He was a Scottish preacher, yes, who was on his way to preach at the Moody Bible uh, Church, for D.L. Moody's church there. 
and he was invited. He was such a good preacher, and he was invited. But previous to that, he'd been on one other ship that sank. And previous to that, he had nearly drowned in the well in the back garden of his home. So he did not like water, and he ends up on the Titanic. But while the Titanic is sinking, he starts to share Jesus. He leads them to Christ. He has his life jacket and he says to one man, are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, I don't believe in God. He says, well, you better have my life jacket because when I die, I'm going to see Jesus. When you die, you're going to face the judgment. And that man took his life jacket. And there was uh, last moments in the water, the freezing water. John Harper turned to somebody and prayed with a a Canadian who was on his way to Halifax and, and, and led that individual to the Lord because that individual thought he was going to die. That individual lived and then told the story. Uh, I, think, I think we've got to keep the main thing the main thing and that when the Titanic's sinking, on that Titanic was also the very first Mennonite missionary to India who founded the first school, Christian school in India the Mennonites. She was on that as well. I often think that'd be a lovely novel. She was a single lady and John was single that they could have met on the Titanic. Uh, and, and, and they're a Scottish Presbyterian preacher and a Mennonite missionary would have fell in love, but then they both died. Uh, but it, it's not a very good ending, is it? Be quiet, Phil. Um, my wife's not on the front row. She must be talking to somebody. So uh, she's usually going, get it, move on. Um, so he, he got up from the, the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. As we come to the end of our series on rhythms, we've spoken about the rhythm of prayer. We've spoken about being driven by a sense of God, not driven by striving the way of Adam. Why we've experienced what it is to understand Sabbath in our lives and to build healthy rhythms of prayer. We know that prayer and meditating on Scripture and the Word of God makes such a difference within our lives. We've explored the whole subject that Jesus, of course, came into the world. And as he came into the world, he came to give us hope. He came to give us that intimate relationship with God. He actually came to, to remind us that, the, that stuff does not satisfy us, but a spiritual walk with the Lord is where we find true life. But you know, there is that part of the fallen Adam that strives within us to want to be somebody, to want to always be successful, to be driven. And yet Jesus comes and turns that whole world upside down. And there is no story more profound than the story in John chapter 13, when Jesus did something so profound. But I want to be honest with you. You know, there is part of me that is, of course, I look at my life and I look at my journey and I look at where I came from and I look at my family and there is, there is the striving Adam that was so present in those early days, long before I became a Christian. If you'd spoken to me back then, my grandfather owned factories in northern England. We manufactured uh, sofas. And uh, growing up as a child, I remember going to his, his factories, smelling the elm and, and the manufacturing, hundreds of employees in those northern mills as we produced um, these, 
what are the cheap, I'll say, uh, sofas and sold them in what would be equivalent to, um, to you know, catalogs, uh, the Sears catalog and, and so on. And, and if you'd spoken to me, I was pretty set. I was going to, you know, organize things, make things, have my own little factory and then sell things. And that's what, that's what we did as a family. That's what my grandfather did. And I was striving. It was simple. It was where we were going to go. It's where I spent all my holidays in Manchester in that factory. Even when I became a Christian and I was going on mission trips, I'd go and work in the factory, load the vans and, and go and do this. And I was consumed by this idea about what was the next thing we were going to manufacture and talking about this. Until one day, that striving Adam within me was interrupted, and I met the Lord Jesus Christ who turned my world upside down. And I realized that it wasn't about being a superstar, it was about being a servant. But so often we can live our lives as a striving Adam that we can think that life's about somehow being a star rather than a servant. And we, want, we are driven in ourselves and, and the world is driven by, by our ambition, by our desire to be significant, our desire to be successful, our desire to be noticed. And no more ever than in today's society with social media and with with. YouTubing and so on, that so many voices speaking at us in so many different ways, people searching for significance, people searching for their moment, their moment of fame, their moment where they can, they can suddenly uh, be known and be seen. But of course, that is exactly opposite to the heart of what Jesus Christ is here. We know that the apostles didn't get this because the week before they had had Palm Sunday and they expected Jesus' revolution to kick in. They expected things to change. They expected that, that he would rise up politically, that he would boot out the Romans out of the land and that the Messiah would come and reign and reestablish the time of Solomon and the great nation, the empire of Israel, the greatest time in their history when they were known and kings and queens came to Solomon and there they engaged with the great king, wise Solomon. They were looking for that age when Israel would lead the world and would make a difference, they were already doing their political games. They were already talking about who was going to be the greatest. Mothers were getting involved and saying, could my sons sit at the right hand and the left side? In Mark chapter 10, they're already saying, well, can we sit with you? Can we be great with you? Who's going to rule in your cabinet? Here we are, the 12. But really, we want the power. We want the influence. We want to rule in your new kingdom. And we want to be part of this leadership. There was this desire in the disciples to be number one, to be number one and to be striving for significance. But Jesus, in this story, turns it upside down. He arranges for a meal on the night before he's going to die. They come together and, uh, of course, Da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper with its perspective, with the long table, with each of the disciples. We know it's iconic, beautiful painting as Jesus is in the center as they are preparing this table. That picture actually has been unavailable for people to view because of COVID for the last two years. And this weekend, the the Da Vinci painting is now open for people to go and to see for the first time in, in, in months, in years, where they can actually go and stare and look at Jesus at the table central at that moment. But even though we have the image of this moment, the one thing that is surprising from the story is that there is no servant, there is no slave who is there to wash their feet. Because, of course, feet would get filthy. 
In the ancient world, we not only have dust. In the ancient world, we would have excrement. From the homes, animals would live in the homes and they would throw the waste, human waste and animal waste into the street. So you would walk through the street and as you walk through the street, you would pick up this waste on your feet and it would smell and it would be not very pleasant. And when you arrived, you either had a servant or you employed A slave to wash your feet. You know this. And the the filth and the smell and the excrement of this, they would get down and they would wash the feet. But there was no servant to wash the feet at this moment. And then, in the middle of the meal, and I'm guessing they've all got filthy feet, Jesus stands up. This moment is one of the most significant ancient moments in the order of history. You might think, well, crucifixion, Jesus. Yes, of course, but of course thousands of people were crucified. They were crucified all over the Roman Empire. Recently they found the body of an English man in, 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 uh, in England who had been uh, crucified and he still had his nail through his, his uh, feet and it was all a big like it was all a big to do about this because usually they'd never found a body, only two I believe, with actual nails in a body of crucifixion because bodies from crucifixions are just thrown to the dogs and they disappear into history but they found this intact body in England where a man had been crucified <laughs> Poor little Englishman that got caught by the Romans. That's quite common. But in all of antiquity, and I I challenge you to find, before this moment, in all of ancient Greece, in all of ancient Egypt, in all of ancient Mesopotamia, in all of ancient Babylon, in all of the ancient world, there is no story of a unique teacher, a leader of a movement, leaving a table and getting down and washing somebody's feet. You can't find it. You don't hear of Aristotle doing that. You don't hear of great philosophers and teachers, of Alexander the Great or even his generals. You don't hear of pharaohs or officials doing such things. There is no, as far as I can see, no recorded moment in antiquity of any great leader of significance doing this. Stepping from the table where he's at the center in Leonardo da Vinci's um, painting, There, stepping from the table and getting down and washing people's feet. Nothing. It's a one-time event. You can Google it after it. You can find lots of examples. But not there. And this tells us that this unique event in all of history should inform the way that a Christian should live because a Christian is called to be a servant. And a Christian who is not a servant is a contradiction in terms. We are called to serve. We are called to sacrifice. We are called... I was trying to think about what would it be like uh, in modern terms today. I don't know. Imagine somebody really important came to your house. I was thinking, who do I love? First of all, I thought, and I wrote this in, the, in my news article, maybe Boris Johnson coming to my house. Because he, he'd be quite entertaining, wouldn't he? Be like, oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, Utquerents Lazis, speaking Latin and going for it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. His hair everywhere, and you can't understand what he's saying. He'd be a very entertaining dinner guest, although I'm not particularly always in tune with many of his policies and his approach in life, and now he's in trouble because he had a birthday party, and he, did he have a party or didn't he have a party? Oh, blah, 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 blah. No, I didn't. I just uh, did it. And, and the, uh, my, I'm not yet an English citizen, I'm just a Canadian citizen. I'm just waiting for the final paperwork to come through. You have to sit an exam, you know. 
So Michelle sat it and the girls sat it because of their age. But when you get to a certain senior age, you don't have to sit it. So I didn't have to sit it. Yes. <laughs> but I was probably the one that wanted to sit it. And um, because once you're 55, you get to go to Denny's for free. Uh, I mean, get a discount. And, and you get not to sit a Canadian citizen exam. But uh, he was quite interested. But he, I'm technically, he's still my prime minister. He comes to my house. He talks about all this. We have dinner together. I invite all my Canadian friends with Boris Johnson. Blah, 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 talking away. And then at the end of it, Boris gets up and says, oh, just excuse me for a moment. I would like to, before I leave and leave you with good salutations, I would like to clean your toilets, please. What? You want to go and clean my toilet? Yes, 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 yes. I'd like to honor you by cleaning. That would be shocking. <laughs> I'd probably say, go on then. Uh, but I can't. But Jesus is here getting down in the filth, in the feet, with the water, pouring the water out, and he is choosing to model something so shocking, so unique, has never been recorded in all of antiquity. Jesus Christ humbled himself and washed the feet of his disciples to pour his life out on the night before he would go and die on the cross and have his life poured out for the world. He poured out for his disciples and he would pour out for the whole of humanity. He would serve us. And when we think, so he got from the meal and took off his outer clothes and wrapped the towel around his waist. Such detail to the text. And after that, he poured the water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And after that, I, in de the next day, he will take his body and pour his body out for all of the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity. Drying them with his towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. You see, you think there's going to be some kind of revolution that's going to put you into political power. But my kingdom is not of flesh and blood. My kingdom is that an army of believers will rise up and their servant heart, their servant ways, their loving ways will change the world. That's, you don't understand it now. But I'm going to take you on a journey by doing something that's never been done in recorded history by a great leader, and I am going to serve you. And then you will serve the world. No! <laughs> you should never wash my feet. Oh, Peter. Always arguing, wasn't he? Always disagreeing. Even there at the end, he, when they've been arrested, he pulls out a sword and chops somebody's ear off. You can hear Jesus going, don't chop people's ears off. How will they hear the gospel? Please. What are you doing carrying a sword? Peter. No, I will never. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. We've got to understand this. Yes, Jesus is washes us of our sin, but he also washes us and takes away our filth, takes away what we pick up in life, takes away the dung and the excrement of our lives and builds us and sets our feet on a solid place and is with us. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as of Christ. 
who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness. And, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient in death, even death on the cross. See that phrase, he humbled himself? Some... Probably the more correct way of explaining that, although that captures it, it could be literally, he poured himself out to become obedient unto death. And the very nature of our Christian faith is that we are not striving or self-centered or self-driven, but the deity, the uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we he was poured out for us. You've got to realize in the ancient world, the ancient gods were absolutely crazy. They were self-centered, self-driven, self-absorbed. You read the stories of the ancient gods of, of Greece and Rome. You read the stories of their antics. You read the stories of what the people worshipped. It was never about being servant. It was never about being poured out. It was never about serving humanity. It was all about their selfish, ego-driven of the gods on the Mount Olympus as, as Jupiter. And the ancient gods of Zeus as the, the gods of Mars and Venus as they battled out in all of their epic stories and their willful activities, those gods offered no hope, no direction. And when Jesus entered the stage within 300 years, the Roman Empire had been con converted to Christianity because the ancient gods gave no hope, but Jesus always gave hope. So unique. It's unique that he washed feet. It's unique that he came as a servant. It's unique that he died for humanity. And this informs me and tells me that actually God calls us all to humble service in our rhythm of worship. I know, and I've already alluded to the research, shows that 40% of you feel really close to God when you're swinging a hammer or you're serving somebody a meal or you are giving a coat or you are engaging in some kind of relief work because that's how you feel close to God. Because you understand for all of us, God calls us to be humble servants. And God calls us not to strive to be noticed in our ego, but God calls us to say, I see the mark of God in every human being and I choose to serve people. Oh, but the whole flesh, my flesh, wants to serve people, but I want to let the whole world know that I'm serving people. <laughs> oh, you got such a sinful pastor, don't we? Ooh, my ego. But I've got to put to death my ego. I've got to put to death my arrogance. I've got to put to death my performance and perform for an audience of one. To serve. It was interesting reading Brendan Manning's book, who himself suffered with alcoholism and knew what it was to, to live with his battle as a poet, as a writer, as a Christian minister, with his battle about bringing the gospel. He says, it's a really interesting story where he's in an American airport and he's coming through and 
he looks at his shoes and he sees his shoes needs shining and he sees a man shining shoes. So he gets up and he sits down and he, the guy, Afro-American man, starts to shine his shoes. And Brendan writes how he's watching the man shining his shoes in the airport. And I guess I'm never met this man, Brendan, but I guess his story, his alcoholism, his battle, his sobriety, captures a broken-hearted man in much of his what he writes. And at the end of it, he looks at this man and says, excuse me, you've just cleaned my shoes. Please, may I clean your shoes. And this Afro-American man, he decided to weep. He agreed and he sat in the chair and Brendan describes how he gets down and he starts to clean the shoes. Quite a bold moment. And he describes how this gentleman just wept as this privileged author shines his shoes. I guess that captures the heart of Christ, that we serve others. Others often serve us, but we serve others. We serve in secret. We serve in humility. We serve and do things that people never see. But the more I read ancient history, and I read the history of the Roman Empire, I'm just reading another book at the moment. Christianity was defined by its power of humble service. Because Romans had virtues. Romans, they were into self-control, into purity, into valor. They were into, you know, good rhetoric. They had values that were strong and they were definitely not humility and definitely not servanthood. Because in all of Roman writing, you never find it's really good to be humble and be a servant and wash people's feet. It's good to be a good citizen and rule over the servants. And I believe that is the reason why the gospel humbled the Roman Empire. Because the people in the church, they served one another. And they served the world. Sometimes I think I'm not very good at serving. Are you? I'm not very good at this. I'm, I am a messy man, by the way. Just ask my wife. Honestly, I, I am like a little, I look at my kids' rooms and I look and I can't condemn them because I'm like that. But I have to remind myself that every time I put my hands in the washing up bowl and wash up for the family, every time I do things that aren't seen, every time I, I serve, I'm doing it for the family and for Jesus. And it's the power of servanthood in the family that makes such a difference. It's the power of serving one another when it's not even noticed. It's the power of living the rhythm of serving others and not being a superstar. Even I have the privilege of, have had the privilege not so much these days, because we don't really go anywhere, of going to conferences and speaking and going around and, and being itinerant and staying in hotels. And I always think of the person that, that comes in afterwards and cleans. I have my little system in hotel rooms. It, basically, everything goes everywhere. And then at the end, I, I tidy up, try and always leave a good tip and a little note. Because I reckon that the person that will come and clean my room after me is, has a lot busier and harder life than me. And if there is a way I can serve, one must serve. 
But I don't feel always I do well. How about you? The rhythm of getting down from the table and putting the towel around you and serving others and serving in that rhythm. Serving those that are in pain and serving those that are in need. You know, I read a story of a Canadian doctor, Christian. She goes to uh, one of the Lions churches, very successful. She was a magnificent career track. And she decided to take a job serving the poorest of uh, Hastings and serving the most needy. And if you've driven down uh, East Hastings, I guess, or that area, you see the kind of human experiment that is taking place. And she didn't want to take the job, she wrote, but she felt the Lord asking her. And years later, she's still serving that community as as a specialist medical doctor. And she said she realized after time that if she had had the same life experiences of those she works with medically, she would be in the same position as them. The trauma, the abuse, the agony, the disassociation, the modeling of brokenness. And she writes, I came to the decision that if I had gone through what that woman who sat in my office had gone through, I would be the same as her today. And that humbles me to serve others. And I guess I read that and I think, okay, I had a loving mother, a loving father. They split up. Life wasn't perfect, but they gave me a gift. You know, in many sense, many of us have won the lottery with the parents we had, with the way we lived. Not all of us. Some of you have had to learn and had experiences. Some of you have had healing. Some of you have found freedom. That's, that's the power of the gospel. But for many of us, we won the lottery. They weren't perfect. All research shows that parents aren't perfect. Parents generally, it shows, get it right 50% of the time. But that 50%, if you get it right, tends to be enough to produce a functional human being. <laughs> Hallelujah. So be encouraged, parents, because if you get it right 50% of the time, there's enough love in that 50% to make the difference, to make a... But serving, she said. And that's why I think in our rhythms, serving others, whether mission trips or going to places or helping in different ways of which we do so well as a congregation, is such important for your spiritual and my spiritual rhythm. Giving. I want to take you back as I finish this. And we'll jump into the life of David. And we're all going to go through the life of David and we'll unpack it. But I want to take you back to 1597 to Japan. The Christian gospel has arrived in Japan and they are trying to stamp it out. 26 devoted Japanese Christians are marched across Japan to be crucified. They are marched 600 miles to Nagasaki. And as they're taken there, they arrive, and there's 26 of them, but there's 25 crosses erected, of which, unless they recant Jesus Christ and declare they're all going to be crucified. Absolutely historical fact that this happened. And and they said, one person said, there's 25, but there's 26 of us. And they said, yes, but there's a 13-year-old boy. We'll just kill him. Not going to crucify him. 
And the 13-year-old boy walked forward and said, well, why haven't I got a cross for Jesus Christ? He said, I want to die for Jesus. And so there were 26 crucifixions that day. And when I remember that story, and, and there's other accounts, you may have seen the novel Silence. It's an ancient novel written about it. It was made into a film about the Christians in Japan and the persecution around this era. The one thing I've realized with all of servanthood and all of everything is this. That I am in a march through life. And there's... The Apostle Paul said and taught us that for I no longer live, but I've died. What did he teach us? I have been crucified with Christ. Servanthood is the ability daily for us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And we are all called to pick up our cross. Your cross looks different. Your cross isn't like the 26 Nagasaki martyrs of 1597. But our cross is different. Our cross is different. But still there is that spiritual cross that we bear. That spiritual cross that we get down from the table and we wash people's feet. That spiritual cross that we say, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love this world. Because if it wasn't for some event, I would be the same as this person. Servanthood is the very nature of our faith. And I don't think I've been very good at it always. I've been lousy at times in my life. I've been so evangelical. I am evangelical. You know, I love the gospel. But so that I've forgotten that we are saved by faith, but we are also called to serve humanity. However that means to you, however you apply it, for I no longer live, for I've been crucified with Christ. I've died to myself, and so I choose to serve the Lord. It's tough, though, isn't it? And I love it that God himself did it for us, to show us the way. Hallelujah. And so on the night in which he washed their feet... He took bread. If you weren't able to pick up the emblems as you walked in, there are emblems available in the foyer for your... So with that in mind, we take our bread... And we challenge our souls. Uh, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in the story of the shoeshine man, places were exchanged and roles were changed. And I thank you, Lord. that you came and exchanged your place in glory with our place. That you exchanged my unrighteousness for your righteousness. Maybe for a moment you're not a Christian. I encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to leave the emblems. This is a very sacred moment for Christians. But maybe you're not a Christian, but you would like to become a Christian. Or maybe you've wandered from God and you've wandered into the church and certainly you've been faced with this sermon. But you realize that you either want to be a Christian or you realize that you want to get right with God. So just while the Christian congregation 
pause for a moment and do their examination of themselves before the Lord, I'm going to talk to you. Is it time for you to give your life to Jesus? Is it time for you, if you have slipped away from God, to come back to God? And if that is you, let me say a prayer. And you can adopt this for yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, I give my whole life to you. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. But as you gave yourself for me upon the cross, this morning I give my whole life to you. I choose to make you Lord now. As every head's bowed for a moment, if you prayed that prayer to get right with God or to give your life to Jesus, I'd love to pray for you. Christians aren't looking around. But just raise your hand, and by raising your hand, you're saying, I give my life to Jesus this morning. Is anybody? God bless you, sir. Anybody? Father, I pray and that for this gentleman that he will just know the peace and the knowledge of salvation coming through his life in Jesus' name. And for all the unspoken prayers, we choose the way of service. And so on the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ washed the feet of his beloved disciples and changed the course of history in the next days to come, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup and poured it out, saying that this is the blood of the new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it in remembrance of 